0: So as we've been entering into this new season, I've had this scripture running through my mind, what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome when they were going through a long, dark time. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. And it occurred to me this scripture may be the origin of that familiar parental response to kid complaining, the one that drives kids so crazy. I'm sorry you're bored and miserable, honey, but this is building your character. So here we are in the season of character building. Lent, a time of self-examination, fasting, and self-denial. Forty days and forty nights, as our hymn just had it, can seem like an awfully long time. Well, the good news is we're already four days in, so we only have 36 more to go. And for various reasons lately, I've been thinking about Lent of 2020, the Lent that started off strong and then two weeks later had us shut out of church and hiding in our homes. The Lentiest Lent we ever Lented, we said at the time. It felt like the good news of Easter would never come. So if we could make it through Lent of 2020, well, we can make it through Lent anytime, right? Now I haven't sat down with each one of you and asked you about your Lenten observance this year. I don't know which of you are stubbornly trying yet again to give up chocolate for the whole 40 days, or checking out a new prayer app, or signing up for five weeks of serving in Saturday Kitchen. And I don't know which of you are thinking right now uh, Lenten observance, me. So if I go off talking about 40 days of endurance, And character building, I may just be speaking into thin air, I realize that. No judgment about whether this is something you've already embarked on or whether this is not something you've thought of until this moment. But I do suggest that you do think about it, and for good reason, because I think we could all use some character building. Now, 40 days and 40 nights is not a random number. It comes from a lot of character-building stories in our scripture, of course, foundational among them being the 40 years that the Israelites wander through the wilderness, having their characters built, on the way to the Promised Land. It's also in the stories we heard in today's scriptures the 40 days and 40 nights of rain that lead into Noah's flood, the 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus fasting in the wilderness. All of these stories of real suffering, 40 years of being lost in the deserts, nearly starving, fearful, and afraid before finally finding a home. 40 days of rain, where everything on the earth is destroyed except for those few who survive in the ark. 40 days in the desert being tempted by demons with the only company being that of wild beasts until starting a new ministry. And it makes me wonder, is this the only way to do it? Does all that character building really have to happen? Well, in the case of Israel and Jesus, the scriptures seem to say, yes, it does need to happen that way because it's God who takes them out into the wilderness in the first place. Something has to happen to get them from the high of whatever that first experience was. In the case of Israel, the freedom and the crossing the Red Sea coming out of slavery. In the case of Jesus, that profound experience of baptism, something has to get them from that to the new life that they are beginning, the new call that they are going to live into. Wilderness time, even with suffering, is apparently intentional, and it's fruitful in the end. But in the case of the Noah story, it's less clear. That's one of those stories that, you know, we paint on the, wind, on, the, on the walls of our children's classrooms and think of as a sweet story, but as an adult, when you start to drill down into it, it gets really difficult. And in this last little bit of the story we heard today, God puts a rainbow in the sky, a beautiful rainbow, to promise that this flood will never happen again. And also, as something to help God remember, a reminder When God sees that rainbow, God will remember, I don't want to do that again, which feels a little like a, oops, that wasn't actually so essential to destroy the earth, was it? Maybe that was an overreaction. Let's do this differently next time. There's this kind of needlessness to the suffering in the story of Noah's Ark when you really stop to consider it. And I wonder if that's actually in there and left there for a reason. Because although we are more comfortable with the idea of suffering and character building that seems like it all has meaning and purpose to it, that we know in the time we're having it, it is far more often the case that when we're in the midst of suffering, we can't see the meaning and purpose of it at all. And sometimes it's entirely clear that that suffering is not necessary at all. And that, as people of faith, can make it harder to know how to handle it. There's so many different stories, I think we could all tell one another right now, of times in our own lives where we've experienced suffering or seen it in others where it just felt so needless and so many stories in human history and in the world news around us today. Here's just one. Today's an anniversary, the 82nd anniversary of Executive Order 9066, the one that was signed by FDR, sending 122,000 Japanese Americans to internment camps, 70,000 of whom were American citizens. Given 48 hours notice, most of these people lost everything. And it was calculated in 1983, when the government began to finally engage this question, that there was a total of $1.3 billion of property loss, $2.7 billion of income loss as a result of that tragedy. And in 1988, Congress passed a law that acknowledged the injustice of it, apologized for it, and provided partial restitution, a $20,000 cash payment to each person who was incarcerated. In other words, oops. That was a mistake. There actually was no purpose to that interment, to that suffering that was inflicted. And it's just one of the horrors we can name in our history. African-Americans are still waiting for that apology and that clarity, that reparations. So many other elements and instances of needless suffering that we have inflicted upon one another, that those in power have inflicted on others, that those who are white have inflicted on those who are not, That groups have inflicted on other groups in human history. And we can ask, and we should ask in each of these cases, why this happens. And we can come up with historical, economical reasons. But in the end, it all comes down to human sin, to fear, to hatred, to jealousy and bigotry. And we can pass laws, and we can make changes so it never happens again. But none of that really explains the suffering. It doesn't give it a purpose. The suffering just happened. And theology has tried for centuries to come to terms with this, to explain suffering. It feels like this huge conundrum, how suffering can happen to good people. Why people are struck with disease, why people are born into poverty, why they are killed as collateral damage in a horrific war. So, one way to deal with it is to try to construct stories in our scripture and our tradition that somehow suffering is part of God's plan, it's God's doing to bring about something intentional. And yet, Like the story of Noah, when you drill down a little deeper, those stories just don't really quite ring true because we know in our own hearts that God does not make suffering happen. And you can't just gloss it away with an easy answer. Well, it was all part of the plan. And yet, we dare to believe as people of faith that God doesn't just let suffering be, either. Without wiping it all away, without negating it and saying it didn't really matter, still, somehow, God can take trauma and tragedy and work it into blessing. We can think of people who have gone through great suffering, and yet emerged stronger than before, who speak even sometimes with profound gratitude of the wisdom they gained through their trials, or the empathy, or the grace. Famous people like Nelson Mandela or Harriet Tubman, people who underwent extreme suffering and yet we're able somehow to transmute that into leadership and witness to others. Ordinary people like you, some of you, sitting right here in this congregation who have buried loved ones or battled through cancer or lived through persecution and yet have found joy, and even hope, in the process. People like this can seem superhuman to the rest of us as we just try to get through the day. But they don't deny the suffering. They don't pretend it didn't happen. They bear the scars. And yet, somehow, they are able to make it through and even to thrive. Psychologists have been talking a lot the last couple of years about the need for more resilience, the ability to adapt well to suffering and difficulties. And there's been a lot written about the need to build that up in our children in particular. But as the theologian Richard Rohr wrote recently, resilience is really a secular word for what religion has been trying to say with the word faith. To live with faith means that outside of the experience of suffering is this greater story of God's redemption. Even in the midst of what is true, darkness and pain, we know beyond that there is light and life. We live with that story, we tell it, we live it out in our symbols and our worship year after year after year, drilling it into our systems. Christians aren't guaranteed any easier passage through life than anyone else, but we are given tools to get through it all, to grow through it all, to come through darkness and yet still declare our hope? How can we come through it all and yet still thrive? Well, this Lent at St. Michael's, we're going to focus on building up our faith and our resilience, our strength for the journey. There's A lot happening in the world these days, and given our media diet that I know so many of you are hooked on, it will undoubtedly continue to be unsettling and distressing all through this year. We read about suffering. We see it on our streets. We hear about it every single day, and we each go through it the personal storms in our own lives, the shipwrecks that, when they first happen, can feel like the utter end of everything. So this season feels like a good time to work on our spiritual muscles, to put down deeper spiritual roots, to build a stronger spiritual foundation Pick your metaphor, whatever works. But to weather the storms that will come our way. We need to build our character. And we don't just have to wait for suffering to do it for us. We have other ways of working on this. So we're going to work on some of those practices in our faith our prayer lives first and foremost, the foundation to our relationship with God. We talk about prayer as communication and no relationship can grow without communication. We're not gonna teach anything new. We're just gonna highlight the prayer practices that are here in this community always. There are candles at the back of the church. Some of you know to light them and offer a prayer that's on your heart. There are prayer cards waiting for you as you enter the church. You can go back and get them any time during the service. And when you write them, they're going to be brought to the altar and then taken to our prayer chain, a faithful group of people who will pray them every day. There's healing prayer offered in our chapel, a chance to bring to somebody else something that's on your heart, your own troubles, or something you're carrying for somebody else and have that person pray with you. We have our common prayer here together. We have our daily prayer in our morning prayer and our noonday prayer services online. And this season, weekly, we're going to start an evening prayer service, Wednesdays, just a chance to cap the day, to mark the middle of the week with some quiet and prayer together. If prayer is one of those things you haven't really figured out, this is a time to step into it. Talk to the clergy. We have ideas. Talk to the people in your pews. They have ideas. And there's other practices also. We'll be exploring in our Sunday forums ways that our sister faiths as well as Christians deepen our relationship with God. Looking at Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, how do we pray and worship? What is this thing of fasting? Is that something we could do? What is the practice of pilgrimage, traveling to a holy place? What is mysticism, the deeper connection with God beyond all our ideas and language? And what does it mean to be saved? And how do we see that being lived out in the daily life? We'll have a quiet day for listening to God, practicing quiet, practicing discernment so that we recognize God's voice when we hear it. And we have all those ministries that go on throughout the year with our children, in our music, with our Saturday kitchen. Practical places to serve with your voice, with your hands, with your heart. Always receiving more in return. Sometimes advertising Lent feels like the cover of a popular magazine. Lose weight by eating healthy and exercising. Feel better by getting more sleep. Be less stressed. Simplify your life. All these obvious sort of basic things repackaged for Lent. There's no gimmicks here. It's just the basics. It's what we teach and what we try to practice all through the year. But Lent is, again, a chance to restart, to kind of square our shoulders, and to grow up a little bit more. Whether this is your first Lent or your 60th, it's a good time to come a little closer in. Take a daily intention fast from something. Set aside some time and keep it up. Restart it if you falter. This is the part that's actually on us. We do have a little bit of work to do on our own selves to grow spiritually. It's hard work, especially if you're in the midst right now of a shipwreck. It may be all you can do to just hang on, knowing that God's refining fire is working on you and something will come of it, like it or not. But if everything right now for you is relatively smooth and easy, then give thanks for that and build up some strength for what is to come. It's worth working on your practice. And the good news is that part is on us, but the rest of it's on God. In those stories of character building in Scripture, God never leaves people all by themselves to go out and figure it out on their own. God is there with Jesus in the wilderness, with the angels ministering to him, God is there with the people of Israel, wandering through the desert. God feeds them and leads them and guides them. God's even there in that terrifying story of Noah and the flood. God is always present, ready to deepen us, to bless us, not to fix everything, but to take our sorrows and turn them into joy ready to redeem our suffering and find in it hope for us and for others, ready to build our character, in other words, so that we can live in hope and so that we can share that hope with the world. That's our role as Christians. And that's what this world needs. So may you have a holy Lent. Amen. Amen. Amen.